This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. It's a great sense of God's presence here, and let's just, uh, can we just continue to obey Him throughout the rest of the morning? Let's just really follow Him. And uh, you can open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, your Bibles ought to just, just pretty much fall open to that. We're in that our series. But while you're opening, let me just say a couple of things. Um, we've commissioned... Uh, couple of missionaries over the last uh, two weeks, and I received a text from uh, one of them and uh, from Olita. Uh, she was commissioned last week, received a text from her last evening and said we were on a bus on our way to Wa, and uh, she actually went with several people, and part of them didn't get the luggage, so they're going in two different groups. Um, we as a church gave her an iPod Touch just to be able to use there so she could have some music and uh, so she has been using that, said it's been great to have that on the trip so far, and it will get a lot more use in the future. Said, I really appreciate you and Faith and the church for being there for my family this past week with the loss of my grandma and with me leaving for Ghana. I know God has been helping me during this time, so thank you for your prayers. And uh, so she just said, love you guys and uh, are praying for you. So that's from Olita. And then just a quick uh, note from Gabe and Erica. Of course, uh, Faith and I went to help them move, and um, they are there in the Bronx. Uh, it's a different world there in the Bronx. And uh, I don't know if Gabe and Erica are going to amount to a hill of beans as far as missionaries, uh, but I think Claire's going to be a good missionary. Um, they, uh, after we left, we left on a Wednesday, um, and they, uh, they were getting their Internet service hooked up, and so... Um, their, their door rang and uh, the buzzer rang and and the guy said, you know, my name is Chris. I'm from Verizon to install your internet service. And he walked in and Claire said, do you have any toys? And he said, well, not with me. And then she said, would you like to come and read the Bible with me? And and of course, this is a very strong Muslim community. And uh, so I don't know if Eric and Gabe will do anything, but anyway, I think Claire is going to do a really good job. We need to pray for Claire that she would be able to reach the lost people there. Um, but we do want to pray for Claire. She is very, very sick right now, high fever, and uh, let's just pray for a touch there. And then a, a couple of other things. We, we have some people that decided to get married, and so I, I just think we need to introduce them officially. Doug and Bridget Wallace, would you please stand? And Bridget asked if she could say a few words this morning. Not really. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hey, uh, congratulations, Mr. and Mrs. Doug Wallace. Isn't that cool? And, uh, you know, it was before the kiss, and Bridget was just about beside herself. She could hardly wait, and I finally had to stop and said, Calm down, Bridget. It's not time yet. Um, but anyway, congratulations. And then uh, Jesse uh, and Jessica Adamson, they also were married a couple of weeks ago. Congratulations, guys. Uh, and then recently, just a few days ago, we have Chandler and Stacy Allison. Would you please welcome them, Mr. and Mrs. Anybody else that I'm not aware of? It's catching. Um, well, today is part three of our message series entitled Being Rich Without Being Wealthy. And some of you may or may not have been here for earlier messages. So let me just give you a quick review. We began this series with some really, really good news. The good news is you're rich. Every single one in this building is rich. Now, if you're thinking, well, I don't feel rich, 
If you own a car, you're in the top 3% of the most wealthy people in the entire world. If you make a combined household income of $33,000, you're in the top 1% of the entire world. That's the good news. You're rich. But then we also talked about some really bad news. What's the bad news? You're rich. You know, being rich is good news, but it's also bad news because the Bible says that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to make it to heaven. So by all of us being rich, it puts us at a severe spiritual disadvantage because we have a tendency to trust in ourselves instead of God. Today we're going to talk about something that God has really convicted me on. And, and, And a lot of the messages that I preach, that I try to preach, step on my toes. But this one actually stomps on my toes. And since misery loves company, I invite you to share in my pain as we talk about the subject of being rich in good deeds. Let's look at the foundational scripture that we've been uh, looking at over the past uh, two, three weeks. First Timothy chapter six, verse 17 reads like this. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything. So, so who's the one that's responsible for our wealth? God. Which should take away any sense of arrogance that often causes us to say, well, I've worked harder, I've worked smarter, I've lived beneath my means, that's why I've done better than most people in Cedar County. No, you may have worked harder, but who gave you the strength to work harder? God. You may have worked smarter, but who gave you the smarts to work smarter? God. So it's a gift from God. And and then the scripture goes on and, and mentions something that we all love. It says that that wealth is given to us for our enjoyment. Isn't that cool? I thought y'all would be jumping around. You know, God gives us wealth so that we can enjoy it. Our wealth, our possessions are for us to enjoy. But then it goes on to a part that we don't like so much. That's the checks and balances here. Verse 18 says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. And then here is where we choke. And to be generous and willing to share In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, as we begin our lesson, what's interesting to me is that as God blesses us with more things, more money, more possessions, there's a common progression. And this happens gradually. Most of the time we don't notice. But but what happens is that we become more self-centered than other-centered. In other words, we begin to take what we have accumulated and and the great focus becomes making our lives more comfortable and trying to have more fun. For example, we say, well, you know, we've always wanted to travel and, and we've never been able to afford it and we're doing better financially. And so we book that cruise or that trip that we've been dreaming about all of our lives. Now, let me be clear. Do not misunderstand me that there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's healthy from time to time to get out of Cedar County. 
Do I hear an amen? And I think it's healthy from time to time to get out of the United States of America. In fact, some of you need to do that. Your world is way too small. And all you can do is talk about the weather and your cat. Your world needs to expand. You need to go someplace besides the dollar store, Walmart, and Branson. Do I hear an amen? So, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with doing some traveling, but th- th- there isn't. But, but, but hang with me, because I think you'll see my point in just a couple moments. Well, but then as we become more financially able, we begin to think, hey, hey we can finally redo our house. And, and so we make plans to redo the kitchen and the living room and the bathroom or whatever. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. We, we did that at our house, just finished. Or we begin to think, you know, we finally have a little bit of breathing room financially and I just don't feel very good about myself. And, and, and so we go and get a new wardrobe and spruce ourselves up and do a total makeover and, and make me feel better about me. And, and, and again, there's nothing wrong with getting new clothes. I, I honestly don't think God is more pleased with us when we wear the same clothes or have the same hairdo for 50 years. You know, th- there's nothing wrong if you want to do that. But, but I don't think God is more pleased with us when, when we do that. In fact, God gives his creation, the, the plant world, the animal world, a different look depending on the different times, seasons of the year. So, so I don't think that God has a problem with our wearing new clothes or sprucing up our looks or getting a new hairdo from time to time. Or another example, maybe we say we've always wanted to go to Disney World and We can finally halfway afford it. I don't think you can ever fully afford it. But halfway afford it. And and the kids are to the age where they would enjoy it and and, and actually remember it. And so we go to Disney World and there's nothing wrong with Disney World. I've been there, done that. I don't have a desire to ever do it again. I asked God if he would forgive me for that first time. I'd never do it again. Uh, But but if you want to go and get rid of $1,000 in one day, hey, do whatever you want. It's okay. Just... uh, just try to avoid the Gay Pride Day that they have annually. One of our church members here went on Gay Pride Day and they felt out of place like a duck out of water. But, but anyways, we become more financially able. The tendency is for us to begin spending more money on ourselves and finding more ways to pamper ourselves. And again, there's nothing wrong with doing those things. Our scripture said that God gives us riches for our enjoyment. So it's not the traveling that's wrong. It's not the buying clothes that's wrong. It's not the remodeling of the house that's wrong. But if we're not careful, those things can begin to consume us. And they become the center of our world. And our focus becomes me, myself, and I. And so Paul, by, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, knew that we would tend to be self-centered. And, and he brought in those checks and balances. And, and after he says, God gives us riches for our enjoyment... Then he adds a, adds a statement so that we can get our eyes off of ourselves. And he says, we're to be rich in good deeds and be willing to share our resources with others. And so before we go any further, I would just like to stop here. Put us on the spot. How rich are we in good deeds? Or how rich are you in good deeds? Now, something else I want to mention as part of our introductory thoughts, and this is a very important principle. If you miss this principle, you're going to be messed up in your theology. But as we talk about doing good deeds, remember, we're not saved by good deeds. But we're saved for good deeds. We're not saved because we do good things or because we stop doing bad things. We're not made right by God by those good works, but 
we're transformed by God to do good works. In fact, Paul described it this way in Ephesians 2, 8, says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So nobody here can boast about their salvation. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And, and, and this blows me away, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He, he prepared in advance those good works for us to do. So, so... Every now and then you get that special sense that God has dumped a divine opportunity in your lap to help somebody else. And you will see a situation and you will think, you know what, I'm not going to brag here, but I've got the ability, I've got the time, I've got the resource, this one's mine. And I'm going to be rich in good deeds to someone. Now it can play out in different ways. Maybe you're driving along and you notice that a lady, uh, a lady has a flat tire on, and she's on the side of the road, and you're like, you know, I, I, I've dreamed about being on the pit crew for someone in the Indy 500. Here's my opportunity. And so you say, this one's mine. This is my time to shine, and I've got this one. And you go up and say, ma'am, may I help and serve you? And, and you do an amazing job of changing that tire, and she's so grateful, and, say, and, and she says, here, let me pay you. And, and you're like, no, no, no. God sent me to be a blessing to you. This one's mine. Or maybe you love cooking. And instead of watching Fox News or sports or you watch the Food Channel. Anybody watch the Food Channel here? Oh, Lord help you. But anyway, you hear that somebody's sick and and so you're like, I I saw something on the Food Channel. I'm going to make them a meal that's so good they're going to be healed when they taste this food. This one's mine. I've got it. Or maybe someone at work is really having a bad day and you're like, I think I can help. And so during your break, you run to the church and ask one of our wonderful baristas to make them a Jump at Joe's Java Jolt Latte. And if you haven't had one, you need to try that. And you take it to them and maybe even say a prayer for them as you give it to them. I don't know if you caught the news a couple of weeks ago. Tim Tebow, the... uh, he was uh, actually the son of a, a, a missionary, but uh, former quarterback for Denver Broncos, but he was on a flight, and, and he heard that there was somebody in the back of the plane that had gone unconscious. He was near the front, and so he made his way back and spent some time praying with the family, and even CNN had good things to say about him as, as he led the family in this prayer time. Uh, you know, it, it's an amazing feeling when, when you realize, hey, hey God... God's given me a little bit of ability and, and God has given me the time and, and now I have the opportunity to be rich in good deeds. So what I want to do today is to show you three different principles that we need to keep in mind as we're rich in good deeds. And, and, and these are so important because I believe that sometimes even though we may have the right motives in doing good deeds, yet sometimes we hurt instead of help. And so please pay attention to these three principles. Principle number one, write this down. My good deeds should always point to God, never to me. God, never to me. Now, watch Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. You recognize this. A a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, now catch this, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. 
And notice Jesus didn't say, they may see your good deeds and say, you're one great guy. Or didn't say, um, oh, you know what? You're so sensitive to our needs. But he said that they may see your good deeds. And who will they praise? They will praise your Father in heaven. So when we do good works, we don't want them to be in a way where somebody would say, Oh, you know what? So-and-so is such a great person. I mean, they went out of their way to do this for me. And I can't believe they did that. They're so wonderful. No, no, no. We want them saying, God is so faithful. He sent one of his children to make a difference in our lives. Praise be to God for his faithfulness. So do you see the difference? It's it's not so-and-so is so awesome. No, it's God is awesome. And he worked through one of his children. In fact, the last thing we want to happen is, is for us to get the praise. You know why? Because that's the extent of our reward. Jim was talking about that with Will. You know, if we get praise here on earth, then forget any praise in heaven. But the other reason we don't want the praise to come back to us is because praise tends to create some pride within us, even if we try to resist it. You know, if I do something for someone and and they, they, they start spreading, you know, Joe is just such a good guy and he's helped me out of a jam and he's always there for me. And, you know, he seems to be so sensitive to the needs of others. And I just can't say enough good things about Joe. Those kinds of statements tend to feed our pride, even if we resist, try to resist that pride. And, and so if praise comes to us, we need to set the record straight and quickly give honor and glory to God. Remember what I said a couple of weeks ago, every blessing that we don't turn back to praise has the potential to turn into pride. So our good deeds must always point to Jesus, not to us. Here's the second principle. And this is so important. I'm going to spend some extra time here. Point number two, my good deeds must help others in the way they need it, not in the way I want to give it. I've found that I tend to want to help people through the lens of what I like. As a person that loves the outdoors and mountain climbing and hunting, sometimes I tend to want to help people in ways that reflect some of my own hobbies. I mean, that's even reflected in my gifts for my wife. And I know she gets tired of getting a shotgun or a backpack or a deer stand for every birthday. But, but I tend to want, her, want to get her stuff that I like. But we need to make sure that our good deeds help others in the way they need it, not just in the way we want to give it. Let me give a few examples here to make sure that we get it. God forbid, but let's say that someone's house burns to the ground. Um, Now, if that tragedy should take place, what, what would you think if I were to go over to them and say, hey, man, I'm sorry your house burned down, but... God has put it on my heart to go wash your car and vacuum it out. And maybe I tell them, you know, I like a clean car and I feel better about myself when my car is clean. And so I assure them that they'll feel better about losing their house if they're driving around a clean car. What would you think about that? That's craziness. You know, when someone's house burns down, they don't need someone to wash their car. They need help probably getting some new clothes, maybe some food, maybe a place to live, or maybe even just sorting through the debris to see if there's anything that's salvageable. Another example, let's say that someone loses their job and they've got kids and they need food. They're hurting and 
it would be so classless to say, hey, you know, I've got this old, uncomfortable, worn-out couch that I just feel like I want to donate to you. And if you'll come by and bring someone to help you, you can pack it out of the basement. It's kind of tough there, but bring somebody that's strong, and, and you can just have this free of charge. And we pat ourselves on the back and feel good because we've helped this unemployed, hungry person by giving them a broken-down, worthless piece of furniture that no one would even take at a garage sale. You know, th those examples are crazy, but that's often the way that we as Christians tend to give. We, we, we don't give in ways that are needed. We, we give in ways sometimes that help us. You know, we get rid of some junk and we feel good about it. And, or sometimes we give them things that they really don't need. When we look at Jesus, he gave in ways that people needed it. You know, in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it says, Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil... For God was with him. So if they needed a demon cast out, what did he do? He cast out the demon. That's what they needed. If someone was sick, what did he do? He healed them. That's what they needed. He didn't say, hey man, I know you're sick with leprosy. But I want to turn some water into wine. And this, this may not heal your leprosy, but it will help you feel better at least while you're under the buzz. <laughs> while you're under the influence. <laughs> you know, he, he didn't do that. Or he didn't take money out of the fish's mouth like he did in another instance and, and say, hey, man, I know you're blind, but I got this 200, buck from the fish, uh, 200 bucks from the fish's mouth. Take this money and go skydiving. Jesus helped people in the way they needed it. If they needed food, he multiplied the bread and the fish, gave them a meal. If they were about to go under because of a sudden storm on the Sea of Galilee, what did he do? He calmed the storm. If people were lost spiritually and wanted to be saved, what did he do? He saved them. So as Christians, we need to make sure that when we help people, we help them in the way they need it. One more thing. This may violate some comfort zones. Let's not do for them what they can do for themselves. We don't want to create a dependency. So we need to always give them a hand up, not a hand out. And that's why many times when people from this community come to the church and they need money and you know, we always try to determine the situation, we take it seriously and every situation is different. But there are many times that we will help them, but we will say, okay, we need you to work this off here at the church and, and we'll ask them to do some stuff around the church. Because the last thing we want to do is to create a spirit of dependency or a spirit of laziness. Now, let me tell you some ways that giving gifts can go bad, even if they're given with good intentions. Most of the time, we never think about this. You know, we think, hey, I want to be generous, and we give this, and we feel good about ourselves. But let me just give you some, uh, some principles here. At Christmas time, I found that this church is... You're some of the most generous people I have ever known, and I love this about this church. You're so generous. And um, long before Christmas, um, you're asking us for the names of needy families. And, and when done right, buying gifts, buying presents for the needy at Christmas time can be a huge blessing. It can bring them so much encouragement. But if it's done wrongly, our giving can actually hurt. And here's some ways that we can actually hurt more than help. And it sometimes happens when we go in and buy things the family could never, ever afford. 
perhaps something that the family would never be able to maintain. An example might be giving an iPhone to a family that could never afford the $60 per month data plan. Maybe the family wants it. Maybe we'd love to see them, that smile on their face, but they can't afford it. Sometimes we think of someone that doesn't have a car and we'd love to give them a good used car and that, that, that's noble. But, but perhaps they could never afford to put gas in the tank or afford the insurance or the taxes. And then sometimes we want to bless children in a home and, you know, when it comes to me, that, that's the, the children, they're the one that tug at my heartstrings. And so with pure motives, we go all out and buy them extravagant gifts and take them over for Christmas. Or, or, or sometimes we'll have somebody else take them over and as we walk in with the gifts, there's the dad over there in the corner feeling like a big loser because he couldn't provide these gifts for his children. And, and the children already kind of resent the dad because he can't give them what their friends have. And, and so these gifts further disconnect the relationship between dad and children. And the children begin to look at us as the hero and they look at dad as the zero. You know, we had good and pure intentions. We, we never meant to harm them in any way, but, but we ended up probably doing more harm than good. So let's keep up the generosity at Christmas. In fact, let's do more than we ever have done. But let's make sure that we give something that is appropriate. And let's let the dad, this is so important, let's let the dad or let's let the parents be the heroes, not us. It's not about us. We don't want them saying, oh, you know what, so-and-so brought some gifts. They're so amazing. We just love them so much. No, we want them to say, God is so good to provide some gifts for our children. One more example here. And I've seen this concept violated way too many times on short-term missions trips. You know, before we go on a trip, we generally meet several weeks in advance. So I always stress that it's so important that we do not go in there and create a mentality of dependency to where people come to expect a handout from, you know, uh, uh, Americans. And, and our default mode is to go in there and, and give gifts and money and shower them with all kinds of stuff and make promises that we will do such and such for them. And, I mean, we're compassionate Americans. That's what we do. That's what we've done around the world. And, and so one of the cardinal rules that I try to stress is be careful. Make sure there's a strategy here, a correct strategy. And, but here's what happens so often. We're on the field. This cute kid steals our heart. This poor single mom pours out our, her heart and tells us a story of tragedy. And, and, and it tears us up. And because we're all rich, we have in our wallet or in our purse plenty of money. And so maybe we take a $100 bill, which isn't that much for us. And, but it's huge to them. It's more than three months income for the majority of the world. And, and we give them 100 bucks without even thinking about it. But what we don't realize is that many times we have just destroyed their dignity. Yes, there is a time to help the poor. In fact, that's one of the commands in the Bible. And, and woe is us if we do not help the poor. So, so don't misunderstand me here. But, but in helping, we must make sure that we do not destroy dignity and that we do not create a mentality of dependency to where they would then want to live by the handouts of Americans instead of earning their living, as the Bible says, by the sweat of their brow. And so the church, the American church, 
by wanting to be a blessing, has many times destroyed a country. And, you know, just one example here. Sometimes we go in and we, we see a, a culture where they're barefoot and we think they need some shoes. And so what do we do? We come back home to the States and we make this campaign to raise and get a thousand pair of shoes and and we send that down and and, and that sounds good and, and there's a place for that. But what happens to that child when he grows out of that pair of shoes then he has to go back to being barefooted again? Or I remember one time I was involved in a program to send, you know, eyeglasses down to the country and I was part of distributing them. And But what happens when that child grows out of those glasses and then goes back to not being able to see again? Sometimes some bitterness begins to develop within that child. And, and, and so many of our gifts are, are, are not sustainable. One more gift that, or, or one more example that I was part of. We served in South America for some years as missionaries and, and, and we've got a great thriving church there. Um, but I remember when the church began to come to us as the missionaries, we want a vehicle. We want a vehicle. We said, we, we don't feel like you're ready for one, but... It was kind of like the children of Israel. They kept pushing for a vehicle to where we finally said, okay, I was driving a blue blazer at that time. And, and I gave my blazer to the national church. And, and they were so grateful. They said, thank you. And they began, they, they said, you know what? We're just going to take this vehicle only to the faraway places. And so that's the way that started. But pretty soon the church executives, uh, the national board of, uh, of our denomination there, they began taking the vehicle across town where there was plenty of public transportation and it began to develop an elitism to where there was a disconnect between the people and the leadership. And this went on and, and then they got to where they couldn't afford to put gas in it and so they parked it and, and sometime later they finally admitted, they said, Pastor, we understand now. We don't need a vehicle. There's plenty of public transportation. So you know what they've done? They've ditched the vehicle and uh, that was when we had about 60 to 70 churches in the country. And, and since they've ditched the vehicle, they've gone back to riding on top uh, of trucks, buses, public transportation. And you know what? The church is exploding for Jesus Christ. They are up to 150 churches right now, growing right and left. And, and many of those churches are in the area where they, uh, where they make cocaine, where they grow coca. It, it is a uh, brutal area. But God is blessing there. And, and so what I want to get across is that when we give, we must be rich in good deeds in a way that we don't give a hand out, but we give a hand up for the glory of God. Let's look at the last principle. And I pray this lights our fire as a church to be the church that God has called us to be. My good deeds will glorify God through His church. And there's an interesting scripture. You've heard it, but you probably never heard it in this context. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. It says, think of ways to encourage one another to, and, and I love this, encourage one another to outbursts of love and good deeds. Isn't that cool? What's the context of doing these good deeds? 
verse 25, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of his coming back again is drawing near. So, so we're to encourage each other to outbursts of love and good deeds through the structure of the local church. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't help personally, but the church should provide accountability to where we're encouraging one another to outbursts of love and good deeds. And I think that as a church, we do a fair job. And, and some of you, you're, you're doing more than a fair job. You're, you're doing outbursts of good deeds. In fact, some of you are crazy rich in good deeds. Your mansion in heaven is going to be so big, I just hope to be able to live in your doghouse. That's how, that's how rich in good deeds you are. But, but could I encourage maybe the rest of us that are maybe lagging behind to take it to another level to where it says outbursts of love and good deeds, which would be like going the second mile in good deeds? And, you know, we use the, the, the phrase going the second mile a lot. Let me show you where it came from. Jesus taught about this in Matthew 5, 41. And, and just kind of paraphrasing, the Roman law was that if a soldier asked you to carry his backpack, you had to do it for one mile. And back then, the, they gauged one mile a thousand steps. So you took a thousand steps. When you reached a thousand steps, you could ditch that backpack and go your separate way. You had fulfilled that first mile. Well, Jesus was basically saying here in Matthew 5, 41, I know by law you only have to do one mile, but why don't you show your love by going two miles? And no, you don't have to, but you get to. I don't know how this principle will play out for you, but maybe you're babysitting for someone and you want to bless them and you might just say, hey, this one's on the house. I'm doing it for free. And uh, and you go the extra mile and you wash the dishes and you just pick up the toys and you don't have to. Basically, all you have to do is get the kids in bed and, and just keep them alive, keep them from killing each other. But you go the extra mile. You do something extra. Or maybe when you're making a meal for someone, you might be tempted to run through the drive-thru and just say, supersize it. Get them some fast food or or you could go to the extra trouble like Ken and Michelle do so wonderfully. They go the extra mile. Salad, main course, dessert. You might even want to take over some utensils, some napkins, maybe a little gift. And you say, I want to bless you because I've been so blessed by God. Let, let's not be below average in good deeds. Anybody can go one mile in good deeds. But but let's be rich in good deeds. Let's have outbursts of love and good deeds because when you're rich in good deeds, what did we see in Timothy? You find the life that is truly life. And I would argue all day long and it, you know that the government and I'm not anti-government but the government is not the best equipped organization to do good deeds. They try. They give a ton of money. But, but really, do you see their money helping people come out of addictions? And come out of abusive relationships? Come out of depression? 
come out of poverty? No, much to the contrary. You know, I found out that, again, I'm not here to bash the government. That's not my intention. But, you know, what God commissioned the church to do, we've given over to the government. And many times, many times the money that we get from the government destroys dignity. It creates dependency. It's a handout. And we want to give a hand up that points to Jesus. And that's the big difference right there. You know, money will never solve the world's problems, but Jesus will. And when the church gives a hand up and and points to Jesus and, and allows Jesus to work, you know what it's going to do? It's going to turn the world up right side up. And the New Testament church, when they found Jesus, and Jesus was the key, When they found Jesus and they realized that they were rich, because remember, we're all rich. Do you know what they did? They they were so crazy. They began to sell what they had and they would basically give it to the leaders of the church to distribute wherever, whenever, however they felt led to do so. No strings attached. God just prompted them to sell this piece of property or this right here. and, And they just wanted to be involved in outbursts of love and good deeds. And, uh, Let me show you what happened to the New Testament church. In Acts 4, 33 and and 34, God's grace was so powerfully at work in in them all. There were no needy persons among them. Can you imagine no needy persons among them? And and the end result, this this is what excites me. The Bible says the church grew and grew and grew and and there were people coming to know Jesus every day. You know, we feel pretty good when we have someone come to know Christ every week or maybe every month. In fact, there are some churches that may be years since they've had people come to know Christ. But, but every day there were converts. And, and can you imagine all the baptisms? Every Sunday, baptisms in the name of Jesus. People having made commitments to Him. When the church acts like the church. Yes, we will see hungry people fed. We will see alcoholics dry out. We will see drug addicts clean up. But most importantly, we will see people come to Jesus and recognize Him as the Savior of the world. That's the kind of church I want to be for the glory of God. Right there. Right there. And so this week... It starts with us. Do you realize we can't do this as a church program? And even though it comes in the structure of the church, and I can encourage you to do all of these good deeds and outbursts of love and and all of that kind of stuff, but it it begins with us. Ryan seeing someone that he can help. Jim seeing someone that he can help. Doyle seeing someone that he can help. Stacy seeing someone that she can help. And when we begin to do our part, each one of us, I I believe that Eldridge Springs is going to see Jesus through our lives. And I pray that God would help us. Now you understand why this message just stomped on my toes. And I pray that God will help us each not to pass it off to someone else and say, well, I don't have anything. No, we all can give something. God has blessed us all with gifts and talents and abilities and resources. 
What I can do will be different than what you can do. But when we do everything, then the gaps are filled in and we make a difference. I pray that we would do that for Jesus Christ this week. Would you stand, please, as we pray? Oh, Lord, I, I, I want to just thank you for, for your word. Lord, it seems like as Christians, we're, we, we go off on two different uh, tangents. One, we say, uh, you know what, they don't deserve it. I've worked hard for my money. They're just going to waste it. I'm not going to do anything. And so we choose not to do anything. And then there are others on the other side that they have such good intentions and they just give here and there and but they don't give what's appropriate and they end up really not helping matters. So Lord, I pray that you would give us a spirit of generosity, outbursts of love, good deeds. God, help us to know when to give and how to give and what to give. Lord, there may be those times when we say, no, it's not right. And I pray that we would... uh, be so open to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for this generous church, these generous people. God, as we go from this place today, this week, I pray that every one of us would have an opportunity to go the second mile. Lord, give us that willingness. Give us that vision to where when we see it, we would recognize it and say, this one's mine. I've got this. Lord, that we would bless someone. Lord, not just the goal of blessing them, even though that's good motivation, but Father, it's not just a handout, but it's a hand up. We want to point them to Jesus Christ. And Father, that all of the honor and glory would go to you. We don't want them saying good things about us, but we want them praising Jesus Christ for his goodness. Thank you, Father, for being such an amazing loving heavenly father that gives us so many wonderful blessings and we pray this in your name and all of god's people said you've been listening to the sunday morning message broadcast from church of god holiness in el dorado springs our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.